often. Faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Hey friends, welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kinzara. So glad to be with you today. Man, it's the middle of January, and I'm from the north. I'm from the Midwest, Wisconsin. I know some of you are listening from much warmer spaces, but here it is cold, and we are settling in for at least a couple more months of this. So I sure appreciate just the, if nothing else, I appreciate the distraction of getting to talk to you every week because it takes my mind off of the fact that I live in Wisconsin. So many things about Wisconsin that I love. This is not one of them. Well, here at Chasing Goodness, we are always talking about how can we just use our faith, use the people that we are to be a positive influence in this world. And today we're going to take a little different spin on that because the most difficult time to be good or to show our goodness into this world is when we're confronted with difficult situations. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to let Jesus' example lead the conversation and just see where we end up. Let me set the stage for you here. Jesus is in the temple. He's doing his thing, talking about the scriptures, hanging out with the people there. He's probably got a group of people around him. Suddenly there's this huge commotion as a bunch of religious leaders, a bunch of guys come kind of crashing his party. And not only just do they come, because that was probably a pretty common thing from what we see in the Bible, but not only do they show up, they also bring with them a naked or half-naked woman who they're telling Jesus, hey, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And assuming that Jesus knows where they're going, they're saying, hey, the law of Moses says that we have to kill this woman. So we want to know what you have to say about this. First and foremost, isn't it amazing? (laughs) Isn't it just amazing the lengths that people will go in order to prove that they're right? And you know, we can all put ourselves in that statement on some level as well, right? But nothing to the, what these guys are doing. It's just amazing the length that they're going to, to try to prove that they're right. So in this situation, I am at least fairly confident that this was all planned out. Now, it's certainly possible that someone would just stumble across another person in a situation like this woman was in. That's, you know, that's plausible. We could assume that that could happen. So that's not all that far-fetched. But then to quickly grab like a mob of murderous men and know exactly where Jesus was, that to me seems a little bit more than just coincidence. So I think, I think this was planned out. And that's the narrative I'm sticking with. This was all somehow, some way planned out. So in order to prove that they're right, or in this case that Jesus is wrong, they devise a pretty elaborate plan that involves quite a few people and that has a high possibility of ending with somebody dying. Just to prove a point. Now, we've seen situations in our country, I mean, even recently, we've seen situations in our country where people have put others' lives at risk, quite literally, in order to prove 
their rightness. And I think in this world that we have right now, which there's so much divisiveness, but that's not new to modern culture that's been going on forever. It's, it's definitely something we see. I think we probably just see it more because of the media attention that it gets. I remember an old friend of mine, she used to say, you might be right, but you are dead right. And what she meant by that, and maybe I've shared that in this podcast before, but what she meant by that is she meant that you might have the facts right, but the way you are trying to prove and live out your point is hurting other people. So being right isn't all that great. I guess another way to say it is that you may be correct, but you certainly are not right if you're hurting others on your quest to just prove your correctness, right? It should be noted that before we go on into this story, that this mob of religious leaders was absolutely correct. They're absolutely correct. According to the Bible, according to religious law of the time, you can look at it in the Old Testament near your Bible if you want to. You find it in both Deuteronomy and Leviticus. That in the Bible, in the scriptures, in what they held to as their law, if a woman was caught in the act of adultery, she was supposed to be killed. Now, it really should be noted that if we do reference those couple of passages in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, they're only half correct because both the man and the woman were supposed to be killed if that was a situation. But I think at this point we can understand that the motives of this little game were far from pure and there was more going on underneath the surface here. For all I know, the guy who was with this woman, for all I know, he was part of the mob. Who knows, right? Who knows the depths to which this little conspiracy goes? And since what was understood at the time was that these scriptures were from God, then what they were doing, at least in their minds, they could construe that what they were doing was trying to follow God by what was written in God's law. So by the letter of the law, quite literally, by the letter of the law, by the letter of the scriptures, they were well within the boundaries of what I guess you could argue they're supposed to be doing. Now, safe to say that not many of us will ever find ourselves in a situation where our speaking engagement at a church is interrupted by an angry mob with a naked or half-naked woman. I don't, I don't think that's, I hope that never happens to any of us. But I still think there are some lessons on goodness that we can grab from this story. So this is the first one is simply that be aware. We need to be aware that people, including ourselves, can go to extremes in our attempts to prove how right we are. When this all goes down, imagine the chaos. I mean, picture if this happened at your Sunday morning church service. It would be absolute mass chaos, right? Like I can't, I can't even, cannot even get my mind around this. People would be shocked, and that might be the understatement of the year. Now, even though things like this were more likely to happen during this period of history, people still would have been shocked at this abrupt reality that suddenly enters the picture. At one moment, we are calmly discussing the scriptures with Jesus. And then in the next moment, boom, angry mob and naked lady. <laughs> that would I don't care what portion of history you're living in, that would be shocking. That would shake things up a bit. So in the midst of this absolute chaos... The very first thing that Jesus does 
is he bends down and he starts writing something with his finger in the dirt. What he wrote has been a great source of discussion over the years. I mean, I've heard tons of great thoughts about this, but it doesn't say it. It doesn't say in the Bible or anywhere else what it was that Jesus was writing in the dirt. We just know that he he bent down, so he was standing up, and then he bent down, and he started writing something in the dirt. And I think, although it's fun to guess at what maybe he was writing, I think that what he wrote was probably not nearly as relevant as why he wrote it. Follow me with this a little bit. We have a natural human tendency to react to people the same way that they approach us, right? So the way that somebody comes toward us, we most often will respond to that approach in the same way. So however they come at us is how we're going to respond back to them. If somebody approaches me with kindness... I will almost every single time respond with kindness. If somebody approaches me in a professional manner, you know, hand out, ready for a handshake, I'm likely going to respond in a similar type of professional manner. Approach me with hostility, you can see where I'm going here, right? Somebody comes at me in a hostile nature, there's a high probability that my initial response is going to be hostile back toward them. In the midst of of a loud, angry mob and a ton of chaos, the natural response would be to respond to the loudness and the anger with loudness and anger. That would be our natural tendency. I can't even imagine how angry I would be if someone were going this far out of their way to try to question what I was doing and try to take me down publicly because that's what was happening here. They were trying to take him down in a very public manner and the way that they were doing it was unbelievable trying to tear down everything in just a single moment unbelievable i would i mean i would be beyond furious i can't even imagine what i would feel if somebody did anything even remotely like this to me however like i mentioned if we respond to anger with anger we experience not resolution but escalation. And so there's not going to be any sort of resolution that happens if we respond in the same way that comes towards us. What's going to happen is quite the opposite. It's almost like that's what they would want because they would want the scenario to escalate. They would want the situation to get even more volatile. In that scenario, they would win. But in this situation, Jesus chose a very, very different approach. Instead of responding to anger with anger, he responds to anger and chaos with total, complete calmness. I imagine, of course, the spotlight, of course, is going to be right on Jesus. He's the one teaching there. They're questioning him. There's this woman there. He's, I mean, he's posed with this question, like, what are you going to do? This woman was caught in adultery. So everybody's looking at Jesus in this story right now. The spotlight is directly on him. So everybody's eyes fixed on Jesus, waiting to see how he's going to respond. And in the midst of all of this insanity, like there's no other way to describe this. In the midst of this insanity, Jesus doesn't say a word. He just bends down and starts doodling away on the ground. <laughs> oh, I, I just, I, when I picture this in my mind, 
it's it's such a profound and crazy story. So sometimes in the midst of difficult situations, the absolute best thing that we can do is find a way to calm everything down and to give everyone at least a small little opportunity for pause. Because in that pause, then everything can just come down a notch. I'll never forget a friend of mine asking me this question in regards to 9-11 and the tax and how we responded to that as a country. And this was maybe a decade after it happened. He said, how do you think the world would be different if we responded to the 9-11 attacks with forgiveness instead of anger, judgment, and military power? Hmm. Now, as I already mentioned, most of us will never find ourselves in such a volatile situation, but we will find ourselves in scenarios where people are upset with us for whatever reason. And our natural response to them being upset with us is likely going to be to respond with some sort of aggression back toward them. If we actually, truly from our heart, if we actually desire resolution and restoration, creating calm is step one, even if it's just for a moment like Jesus did. Jesus knelt down, he wrote in the dirt, and and whether it was because of what he wrote or just because he got people's attention off of the woman, he calmed everybody down for a second, just at least for a moment, so that an actual dialogue could begin to occur. The next thing that Jesus does in this scenario is the thing he is most well known for in this story. Now, as you can assume, the writing in the dirt thing doesn't end the situation that he's in. It simply creates a small pause so that there can be a meaningful dialogue, and then they continue in on him to provide an answer. They're demanding him to provide an answer. They're saying, remember, that this woman was caught in the act of adultery. We're supposed to kill her because of that, and so we want to know what we should do. So then he stands back up and says to them, all right, whoever is the person without sin, they can cast the first stone. Brilliant, yep, profound, absolutely. But the importance here, and this is a nuance, the importance here is that he is genuinely caring for the oppressors in the story. He's not trying to embarrass them or make an example out of them. Because a lot of times when I've thought about this story in the past, I've thought, oh, that's just Jesus doing what Jesus does. And he's making an example of those Pharisees and those religious rulers. He's just sticking it to them. You know, if you think about it, that in some ways goes against everything that Jesus stood for. He wasn't about belittling other people. That's anti-Jesus to do something like that. What I think maybe he's doing here, and this is just me guessing based on what I do know about Jesus' character, what I believe he's doing here is bringing about a solution in which the oppressor, the religious leaders, are actually given a blessing of freedom. Think about a time when you felt stress or a burden from having to uphold a certain standard. When I used to work in church situations, <laughs> I can't even tell you, like the weight of that burden is it's, it's big and it's heavy. And I'm sure you've had similar types of burdens, whether it's in your workplace, in your home life, whatever it could be. Just think about how stressful carrying those burdens can be when you're just trying to uphold a certain standard that's expected of you. 
And sometimes maybe, if you're like me, maybe you even feel guilty for having to uphold that standard in the way that you do. Again, when I'm thinking about my time working at churches, there was times when I was expected to uphold this certain whatever, and I felt so guilty about it because it it just didn't feel true to myself. Now, these men felt like it was their God-given duty to come against anything that was ungodly, to come against anything that came against the scriptures or came against God. And in this case, the woman and Jesus were things that were ungodly or were coming against scripture and the will of God as they knew it. And they felt, they felt it was their duty in this scenario to also carry out the consequences. And they had a lot of pressure on them to follow what was expected of them. If these were their religious leaders, so we're not just talking about normal average Jewish people here. These are the religious leaders and people are looking to them to uphold this standard. And there's a ton of pressure on them to follow what's expected of them. Their livelihood in some ways is dependent on them to do this. And in this scenario, what's expected of them is that they kill a woman and maybe also that they kill Jesus. And so in this act of brilliance, this statement that Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. In that act of brilliance, Jesus sets them free. In one phrase, Jesus says, I see you. I know you actually do not think that you're any better than this woman because I know that all of us struggle with our own flaws. I think Jesus was also saying, I know that you don't actually want to kill this woman and that if you take part in what you're about to take part in, it will haunt you possibly for the rest of your life. So in this scenario, in this one statement that Jesus makes, he not only saves the woman that day, but he also saves all of those men. So often when a situation gets heated, we begin to act in ways that we're not proud of. And, you know, how many times in the heat of an argument have we said or done something that that we've regretted later? How would our response to a situation change if we cared not only for ourselves and not only for maybe another person in the situation who's being wronged, like in this scenario? I mean, what if we didn't just care about ourselves and didn't just care about the person who's being oppressed, But also, what if we cared for the aggressor or the instigator? Yeah, absolutely. We should desire justice without a doubt. I'm not saying for a second that we shouldn't. But we should also desire goodness for everyone, no matter what. The two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. I don't think these guys walked away dejected. I don't don't think they were upset that they didn't get to take someone's life that day. When I think about this story, I think of them walking away humbled and thankful. I don't picture them walking away angry at all. I picture them walking away thoughtful and relieved. What a great thing it is to give others the opportunity to pause, think, and reflect. And then the final thing that Jesus does in this story is that he cares for the person who's being oppressed. Let's keep in mind that in this scenario, we are not talking about some poor little innocent woman. We are talking about a woman who willingly chose to do something that she very much knew 
was wrong. Sure, yeah, maybe she was set up, who knows? But no matter what, she was not innocent. And in the midst of her trauma, from what had literally just happened to her, in the midst of that trauma, and honestly, in the midst of, I'm sure, the guilt that she's feeling from what she's done and what she just experienced. I mean, imagine being dragged into the center of a group of people, into a group of men accused of something, being threatened. Your very life is being threatened. I mean, imagine the trauma that you're experiencing from that. Imagine the guilt that you're feeling from just this public shaming. So in the midst of that, Jesus cares for her. In this story, the only innocent person is Jesus. The woman was guilty. The angry mob of religious leaders, they were certainly guilty. Jesus, not guilty. So I think, I think it's fair. I think it would have been natural for Jesus to be pretty upset with her. It would not have been out of bounds for him to say, I mean, do you see what your actions almost did to me? Or maybe use that great phrase that we've all used a time or two. You could have gotten us killed. And in this case, it would be quite literally true. We all understand guilt and can be confident that she was already aware of the fact that she'd almost gotten herself and Jesus killed. So when the only innocent person in the story, who's Jesus, that only innocent person in the story, the one who they were really after, when that person says, I do not condemn you, that is the true moment of freedom for this woman. When we think about our own life, when the people in our life who end up getting hurt by us, by our actions or, or by what we say, when those people look at us in the eye and tell us it's going to be okay, or when those people hug us and tell us it's going to be okay, that's, that's the taste of freedom that we get in this world sometimes. It's when those things happen. When we choose to speak life and not condemnation to a person who put us in a challenging situation, because again, like our immediate natural response is to want to tell them where it's at. But when we don't do that, and instead when we choose to speak life and not condemnation, that's, that's goodness. In some ways, that's the very definition of goodness. Now, to be fair, Jesus did tell this woman to go and sin no more. But I don't think he was doing that for any selfish reasons. I think he was simply doing that because he just wanted to give her a, a glimpse of a better future. But he, he didn't shame her. He didn't get upset with her. And he did not in any way, shape, or form condemn her. So to bring this home today, in the midst of such a hostile world where there's so much conflict, we can learn so many valuable lessons from just this one story of how to create goodness in the midst of difficult situations. And the biggest thing, like if we keep just two things at the forefront of our mind when we find ourselves in difficult scenarios, the first thing is to just create calm. So when somebody cam comes at you or you find yourself in a really hard situation, just picture Jesus pausing and just doodling in the dirt. <laughs> and then the other thing that we can do is we can genuinely care for everyone involved. We can care for ourselves. We can care for the person being oppressed if there's a person being taken advantage of or oppressed in that scenario. 
And then we can also care for the oppressor or the agitator or the person that's bringing the conflict into the scenario. We can genuinely care for everyone involved. Thanks as always for listening. It's always a true honor to be with you. As always, you can support this podcast by subscribing to it. Give it a five-star rating and writing a review. And you can find me on social media at Matt Kinzera, both on Facebook and Instagram. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, let's keep chasing goodness together.